in Matthew chapter 25, one verse of scripture this evening, and that's verse 35. The scripture tells us, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. For a few moments, I want to talk about the word of the Lord. Communication to me is a wonderful thing. Americans, or not Americans, but humanity in general, we communicate in ways unlike any other species in this world. One of the greatest ways that we communicate is with words. And our words are more than just words. Those words can form into sentences, and those sentences uh, express our heart, express our desires, express our needs, and express our wants. Words are very important. Words can build up, and words can tear down. Words can be positive, or words can be negative. Uh, we know that small words can be as powerful and sometimes even more powerful uh, than big words. And uh, small sentences can be more powerful sometimes, or short sentences can be more powerful sometimes uh, than long sentences can. And I think three, world, three words can change your world. When somebody says, I love you and really mean it, and when somebody says, I forgive you and really mean it. But three words can also rock your world and give you a punch in the gut when they say, I hate you or I'll never forgive you. Those are words that can hurt. We're often snared by the words of our mouth, so says the word of God. And the Bible also said death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words are important and words have valuable meaning. Uh, sometimes we tell people words and we make sentences that we promise them things and they do not have the ability to fulfill those promises or they are incapable of fulfilling those promises or they simply renege on doing it all. They often don't have uh, the power to back up the words that they tell us. I learned this early on as just a small child. I remember when I played football, uh, when I began, I think, in the third grade, when I was about nine years of age, uh, our coach said, we're going to give out trophies this year for this thing and for this and for this and this. And then at the end of the season, <clears throat> I was supposed to receive three trophies uh, for playing football that particular year. And I waited. I was all excited and my hopes got up and I never did receive the trophies because he never did buy them. And for years after that, every time that coach saw me, he kept saying, well, I forgot. Well, I forgot. Well, it broke my heart. Here, I'm a nine-year-old kid, and I gave my heart and soul to everything I did on that football field. I put skin in the game, and yet he lied to me, or he was disingenuous in what he said, and as a result, uh, I was disappointed. I re er learned early in life, be very careful of the pitiful words that people say to you. Years ago, a man or a woman's word was indeed their bond, but that's not the way it is anymore. I've experienced time and time again from Christians and non-Christians alike, from friends and family alike, that they tell me words that sound pretty good, but they don't have the ability to back those words up. I've been made many promises by many people just as you have. And for whatever reason, they broke those promises or they reneged on their word. During political campaign season, don't we just love it? When all those uh, uh, politicians come out of the woodwork and they make us all kinds of promises on the platform they're running on. And then when they get voted in, somehow they have amnesia when it comes to those particular words and promises that they shared. How many of a young girl 
who was waiting for love, for affection, and for attention uh, was, was told by some pimple-faced guy three words, I love you, and it unlocked the most valuable gift that she had, the treasury of her body. And they learned, the young boy learned, if I say those three words, I love you, uh, I'll be able uh, to go in and unlock and steal and rob her purity right from her. Let me tell you something. For those of you that have kids, you teach them. When they go on a date, you tell the girl to put the Bible between you and, 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 and Hormone Harry over here because it's going to be hard for him to jump, her to jump, him jump across Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, to get to you. So if they have the Word of God here in the heart, you won't have to worry too much about that along the line. Uh, by the same token, there have been many couples that have stood before a magistrate or a judge or a justice of the peace or a pastor and they have stood there to pledge their love and their commitment to each other and they enter into a marriage covenant into a marriage co a covenant with God and they say we have promised that we'll love and cherish uh, through death uh, until death do us part and yet many times some of those same people their marriage don't last nearly as long as the honeymoon does itself cheap words are often used in American society today however words have meaning and the right use of words or the wrong use of words also have consequences to them as well. The question is, whose words are we going to believe in this hour in which we live? Sad to say, but many mothers have lied to their child or their children. And there have been many children that have lied to their parents. There have been many bosses that's lied to their employee. And many employees have lied to their employer simply because they deceived them or, or they were disingenuous uh, trying to get them to do something otherwise they would not be able to do. They have flat out lied to us. They have used cheap words. Uh, they themselves have been full of deception or their words were used in error. Friends, words can be spoken in a harsh tone and can also make the psyche of a person bad. This is one thing that my wife has pointed out to me through the years. I'm not aware of it, but she said, sometimes your words seem to be so harsh. And I don't mean for them to come out that way. Not at all. But you got to stop sometimes and analyze the way you're saying some of the things that we endure say. Let me tell you something, friends. Words can be fabricated in such a way that they might destroy the character of an individual. Uh, words can be formed in such a way that they can slander, uh, they can embarrass, they can harass, and or they can destroy a family, destroy a career, destroy a reputation, destroy a business, and they also can destroy a church uh, when those words come out. Whose word can you really trust today? As a matter of fact, in becoming harder and harder uh, to find a news outlet that you can trust today. It's hard to find a newspaper that you will present the truth today. It's harder and harder uh, to find a magazine that will present the truth today uh, because they're all geared toward their own political persuasion and their ideology when it comes uh, to politics. By the same token, in everyday ordinary affairs, it's becoming more and more difficult uh, to find a professional. Oh, they're out there, but they are few and they are far in between. For that matter, it's getting more difficult in America uh, to find a pastor behind the pulpits of many of our churches uh, that will preach the truth and the integrity of the Word of God. There are many so-called shepherds that water down the gospel uh, to make people feel good within their sins. There's others that will come across and they will, uh, they will distort the Word of God uh, in order to make their congregations feel good in a politically correct environment. And yet those are the same shepherds
members that God has called to feed the sheep the word of God and to protect the sheep from the false doctrine of the day in which we're living. I don't know where I heard this. I think it came out of the book called Uncle Tom's Cabin written many, many years ago. But there is a sentence that says in that book, I believe, those are pretty words, but who said them? Those are pretty words, but who said them? To trust words spoken by us, we must know the individual or the individuals that are speaking those words to us. To my knowledge, there's only one that's ever been perfect. His name is Jesus. There's only one that's ever given us his word that's never been broken. His name is Jesus. There's only one that's given his word that he said, I've exalted my word above my very name. And his name is Jesus Christ. I remind you today, friend, his word is his bond. He said his word is is forever a settled in heaven. He said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path. His word is trustworthy, but even beyond that, his word is still filled with power even today. In the very beginning, the word said, Jesus said, let there be and there was. He spoke his word and he brought cosmos out of chaos. We also know in the word of God to the cripple. Uh, he said, take up thy mat and walk. And the man obeyed and took up his mat and began to walk uh, to the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus said, peace, be still. And the word of his authority and power uh, caused the waves to cease and the wind to stop their blowing. Uh, we also know to the demons that possess men and women, uh, Jesus said, come out. And the word of God came forth out of his mouth and the demons had to obey uh, the command of Jesus Christ. To the dead that's buried in the grave, pushing up daisies, uh, he would say, come forth or arise and the dead would come out wrapped up and they said loose them and let them go I remind you to the sinner he was able to say neither do I condemn you go and sin no more and the word of God lets me know that they obeyed uh, the word of God just words but powerful words are coming from a man that we can trust a powerful words are coming from a God that will not lie and will not renege upon his promises the very same day that Jesus Christ uh, was crucified the Bible said there were two thieves being crucified right beside of him. As far as distance was concerned, they were as close to him as one was toward the other. But they were paying for their crimes. They were guilty of thievery and they were dying upon that cross. But yet one of the thieves said, if you are who you say you are, won't you cast yourself down and save yourself and save us? But the one thief said, we are guilty of our crime. We are paying for the crimes that we've committed. But this man is just having not committed any crime whatsoever. And that man, that one thief, he repented and he said, Jesus, will you remember me when I, you come into your kingdom? And Jesus Christ spoke eight words uh, to that repentant thief upon the cross and it changed him for all of eternity. And Jesus simply said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And the man's world was changed for all his words, my friend, have meaning and words have power. And Jesus Christ words are the only ones that we truly can accept today as being the truth. Now I think what must break the heart of God today is the fact that so many people, even Christian people and even Pentecostal Christian people will often give a deaf ear uh, to the word of the living God. People believe other people that are fallible. They believe the lies and the deceit and the error and the dishonesty and yet they will not listen to the word of God that we know that is truthful. 
It always amazes me, we can be in California, we can be in West Virginia, we can be in Tokyo, and we don't know where we're going, we're as lost as lost can be, and we walk up to a complete stranger and say, how do you get to so-and-so, and he gives us direction, and we obey him. We don't know anything about that joker. They may be lying to us, he may be telling the truth, but we take him at his word and don't even know him. And yet we have the indisputable, infallible word of God. And yet he speaks the word and we give a deaf ear to it. It's the word of God that gives life. It's the word of God that gives us peace. It's the word of God that lets us know who Jesus is. And that's why we must know this word, believe this word. We don't worship it, but we worship Christ who is the living word of God today. People believe other people and we do not listen to the word of God, which cannot lie. The Bible said... Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people, Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. May God help us to know him. May God help us to trust him. And may God help us to stand on his holy word. And the God who gave us that word will always stand by us. Now, friend, there's such lukewarmness that's creeping into the church today, and it's also creeping in among Pentecostal churches as well. I want to talk right now not about nominal churches. I want to talk about Pentecostal churches in particular, if I may. For the most part, Pentecostals, Charismatics, we still believe in the supernatural manifestation of God's Spirit. We still believe that God moves by His Spirit. We still believe the gifts of the Spirit operate today, the ninefold gifts of the Spirit. We believe that God still heals, that God still performs miracles, and thank God we here do see Him manifesting like that from time to time, but how I think we need it more and more and more. I believe that God sets each church on a path or a vision. And once they lose sight of that path, we lose sight of that vision, we perish. It does not mean that we cease being a church. It means we cease being an effective church. And there's a lot of churches. And there are a lot of Pentecostal churches that are trying to be hip. Trying to bleed in with the crowd. We want to change our name so they don't know we're Pentecostal. And that way they'll come to us and we can teach the Pentecostal doctrine. That would sound good in theory, but more times than not, we're just changing labels on an empty bottle. We're just changing labels on an empty bottle. Are you hearing me? Friend, it's not the tag on the door. It's the presence of God inside the wall. It's not about the church or the first uh, or the frigid air. God can come and thaw us out and heat us up and give us something of his spirit. It's been said that there was a generation that saw and experienced the move of God. Let me say it again. There's a generation that saw and experienced the move of God. Let's call that the first generation. There was another generation that came about that saw the move of God, but did not experience the move of God. Let's call that the second generation. And then the third generation has neither seen nor experienced the move of God, and that's where we are today. Let me put it to you this way, if I may. The first generation 
knew the Lord of the work. The second generation knew the work of the Lord. But the third generation knew not the Lord nor the work of the Lord. Where do we lie in New Life Assembly? Where am I at as a pastor? Where are you at as a deacon, as a Sunday school teacher, as a worship leader, as a nursery worker, as a greeter, as an usher, as a head of a ministry? Where are we at? Do we know the Lord of the work? Or do we know the work of the Lord? Or do we not know either? It's so easy to sit and to bask in the rhetoric of what we know. But oh God, do I know you? Are you hearing me? The Azusa Street Revival has recorded in history as a power encounter with God and that was the hallmark of setting up what a Pentecostal church looked like. It was during that time the movement's greatest distinction is the fact that those people that attended had a divine encounter with a living God. It was not emotionalism, even though there was emotions involved. It was the fact they came in direct contact with the living God. God was there and manifest himself and there were no restrictions whatsoever. The Holy Spirit wrought conviction. It drove people to, the knee, to their knees. They accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and nobody knew what was going to happen next because it was a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit himself. Those powerful experiences which set the Pentecostal church apart from all the other elements of Christianity served as a reference point for all other Pentecostal movements and what the church ought to be looking like. Each new convert was reminded that when they got up off their knees, when they got out of the presence of God in that revival, they were going back into a hostile world. A world of secularism, a world of humanism, a world of Marxism, a world where they would be laughed at, they would be made fun of, they would be ostracized, and yet they would be persecuted. But it did not move them. You know why? They had been with God. They hadn't just been to church. They had been with God. And at God the church, they met God. And they knew he was real. And they knew he was powerful. And they knew that he had changed their life. It was more than I had knowledge. It was a heart surrender to these people. And for the rest of their life, their purpose was to know God and his power and to have fellowship with him, much like the apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. The movement also had a collective purpose, and that was to introduce the rest of the world about a true God, a God that was relevant a God that was real, a God that was loving, a God that was full of mercy, a God that was full of grace, and a God of truth that could be trusted in a world that nobody could trust anything but themselves. That was powerful. However, this same God can be approached through the blood of Jesus Christ. He cannot be approached through our works. He can't be approached through our priests. He can't be approached uh, through our works. He can be approached through the blood of his son and our savior, Jesus Christ. However, they ran into a conflict. And the conflict was this. The notion that God should be worshiped and recognized on man's terms. 
God is somewhere up there, but he's not right here. In other words, the Pentecostal church on fire for God who knew their God ran in head on into a brick wall of secularism and humanism. And now they've got to make up their mind. Who are we going to believe? The modern day secularist? The modern day liberal? The modern day humanist? Are we going to continue to believe the God that changed our life? During this same era, there appeared to be many of this old religious rhetoric. They wanted to get out of the way because science was on its way in while religion was on its way out. Charles Darwin's theory had spread like wildfire through Europe and now it was getting the toehold into the universities here within America itself. And many of the transition people, they went from a passive Christianity and they went into atheism and they went into agnostic. In other words, people going to churches, people just going to church week in and week out, listening to sermons and singing their songs, they were not being moved, they were not being challenged, they were not being touched by the power of God. So they found something in Darwin's theory that electrified them. So now we have found a reason to get rid of God because science has replaced God. Humanism has replaced God and now we found something of meaning and we're running with the big boys now. We have, we have it made. At that same time, most mainline denominations offered services that were nice and quiet. The atheist could come in and feel comfortable. The agnostic could come in and feel comfortable. The unsaved had come in and was not moved because the word of God was not being preached. And they said, oh, they sing their songs and they're so pretty. And they get up and they pontificate and they share a little homily, which they called sermons, but they don't move. You know why? Because there was not enough of the word of God there for God to confirm anything going on. And in some churches, it's still that way today. Let me tell you something. When my wife and I went on a sabbatical 18 years ago for 10 months, we went to church on top of church, on top of church, on top of church, and my heart was broken more times. I was so angry going home, not because of what I saw going on, but what I didn't see going on. Amen. We went to Pentecostal churches, and God forgive me, but here it is. We went to Assembly of God churches. I wouldn't recommend a dog to go to. I'm sorry. My daughter, at that time, I was 15. We went to one church, Assembly of God church. I'm not going to mention the name. We walked in and she looked at me on the way and she said, Daddy, I thought y'all were supposed to be able to preach before they gave you credentials. She said, that guy belongs on the home shopping network, not behind the pulpit. A 15-year-old recognized it. I'm not trying to be early what I'm saying. We've been duped by an enemy where God has not even been invited within his own house, among his own people. And we wonder why the world is turned off to Jesus but turned on to Islam. Why they turned off to Jesus but turned on to Marxism. Why they turned off to Jesus and turned on to religion because churches are not producing what God said we ought to be producing. Amen. It scares me. Agnostics, atheists, secularists, and human, humanistic people can walk in and they can raise that one eyebrow up and say, be very comfortable in your services because they don't move me. 
There's no power of God present and there's no person of God present within many of those churches. In the case of many of these rituals, the presence of God in all the rituals that people do, there was no presence of God involved in them. That's one of the reasons I don't like rushing through communion. I've gone to Pentecostal churches and all denominations where it's a form and a ritual. We know what to say and how to say it, and we do it, and never one time have God in our mind. And how many times in Pentecostal churches can we worship the worship without worshiping God through the worship? Are you hearing me? How many times do we gather together and we go through our own form, our own ritual, and we never one time acknowledge, hey, God's in this place. And we sit back and we criticize this and we criticize, is that a good preacher or what? We criticize this and we criticize that and we say, God, where are you? No wonder the world is turned off to the Lord today because we've not made him the Lord of our lives the way he wants to be the Lord of our lives. As far as many learned scholars were concerned, one Christian church was pretty much like any other Christian church. We go to the church and we sit there and it was a gathering where people went through their form and went through their ritual and went through the things they did and the atheists and the agnostics could join into the singing and they could take the communion and not be moved and they they, they hear the speaking and such men were oriented as the way it was normed. That's the way you do church. But something happened. God invaded that little storefront building in Azusa Street with W.J. Seymour heading up a little African-American preacher. And God began to stir things up among Christianity and among churches. The Pentecostal movement dared to invite God to become very active participants in their service instead of just God being some intellectual way up there somewhere and just going through the former ritual of talking about him they invited him into their midst. And when they invited him into their midst with their hearts open up, not just empty words, but when they invited him into their midst, he showed up in power. Such divine involvement yielded frustration to the skeptics because they kept trying to explain away what God was doing. They called it pumped up flesh. They called it this, they called it that, but they learned they could not stop God because the miraculous was taking place. They took God at his word. When he communicated his word, he communicated his will. And there's a group of people who said, I believe it. Regardless of what humanism says, regardless of what the libertarian says, regardless of what the liberals say, regardless of what any of those people say, I'm taking God at his word. And God invaded the place. And now the religious crowd didn't feel comfortable because they couldn't stop. They couldn't scientifically explain it away. Miracles were happening. Blind eyes did open. Deaf ears were unstopped. The lame could walk. The dumb could speak. Why? The demons were being cast out. Why? God had invaded the place. Where is that God at tonight? He's the same place he's always been. The question is, where is the church at tonight? The first generation Christian fell short of fulfilling one critical obligation, though. God moved upon the Azusa Street. Other churches followed that pattern. They believed God, but they failed in one opinion, in my opinion, one place. And this is it. The Bible says, only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from their heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. 
They continue to live and to breathe knowing God and making him known. Not forgetting the things they saw, not forgetting the things they experienced, but they didn't make it real to their children and their children's children. We are losing a generation of children. Now, going to make you mad? Get over it. I wrestle with this in staff meetings from time to time. They didn't have children's ministries years ago. They didn't have youth ministries years ago. And what bothers me is some of our children and teenagers are never in a Pentecostal service because they're in a children's church service and thank God for them. And a youth service, thank God for them. And I pray and we trust and we believe that they're instilling the Pentecostal things in their lives. But I'm fearful that we're failing at home. I'm fearful that sometimes we're failing in the church. We need to let them not just hear it, they must experience it. And what they experience must be based upon the book. It's got to be based upon the book. It has to be. I talked to Pastor Raphael this past week, and God's opened up doors for this church to get in some of our public schools. If you would like to help once a month, please see Raphael. He'll train you to get you there. I've been one time blown away by it. He went to one of our schools here a couple weeks ago. He said, Pastor, I could not believe what I saw. He said, I thought this school was bad, so I went to this one. The cursing in the hallways. Two girls kissing. And the principal walks by and don't say a word. A Christian principal. We send our kids to Sodom and Gomorrah every day for five days a week and say, look, but don't touch. And the stench and the smell and the sin and the reprobate is rubbing off on them whether we know it or not. Amen. They've got to have this Pentecostal experience. Not emotionalism. Not pumped up flesh. Not something long on muscularity and short on spirituality. They've got to know the God of the word. Yeah. Yeah. Parents and grandparents, we've got an awesome responsibility that scares me. And another thing that scares me, even some of the good public schools we have, we better watch what they're teaching. They don't teach the four R's anymore, right and arithmetic and what the other two were. Reading, writing, arithmetic, and something else. Maybe it's the three R's. Can't spell arithmetic right. <clears throat> but now they're indoctrinating them. Do you know that young boys as, as young as 13 years of age are getting vasectomies? Young girls are being mutilated because they're pumping in the doctrines, the indoctrination of secularism and humanism. We better know what they're teaching. And we have an obligation. I'm, I'm, I quit preaching and started meddling. Even though they continue to live and breathe for the purpose of knowing God and making him known, not forgetting the things they'd seen, but they forgot to make it real to their children. A breakdown in communication occurred. And I'm afraid the same thing's happening in Pentecost today. It's not, have I been filled with the Spirit, Brother Charlie? Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? 
It's not, can I speak in tongues? It's not about tongues. It's about the presence of God, the anointing of God. What can we do? What must we do? We've got to seek out the old paths that lead us back to a powerful reference point. Follow the path back to secret prayer, not just any prayer, but Pentecostal praying, believing God for the miraculous, believing God that he can show up and get out of his box and do what he wants to within the house of the living God. We must see where we are and understand how far adrift that we have gone throughout the years. And we must see where our church is. We must see where our children are. We must see where we are in the relationship of the experience of our first generation Pentecostalism. Further, we must understand what we need to do to get back to the experience of the first generation and then be able to make that experience available for the second and third generation. We are less than one generation away from annihilation as Christian churches. We are less than one generation away from annihilation of the Christian church. Why is Islam growing and they serve a dead God and Christianity is losing ground and we serve a living God? Does that keep you up at night like it does me sometimes? How is our life lining up with the book of Acts? How is our ministry lining up with the book of Acts? How many souls are we seeing saved daily? How many people are being healed in our services and outside of our church services? And how many lives are being transformed by the power of God and the message of Pentecost? God knows how to bring the church back to a place where we depend upon him again. He knows how to get us up on our knees in a a posture of prayer. And he longs for people to spend time in his presence, agonizing and wrestling and pulling down the strongholds. And I believe that God will honor our praying as we honor his word. His word is the compass that will get us back to real Pentecostal church and back to a real Pentecostal ministry. God still saves. God still heals. God still delivers. God still sets the captives free. Take God at his word. He communicates through his word. Take God at his word and let God confirm his word with signs following.